A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, as you already heard Jesus say, these days we're looking at the oldest account of the life of Jesus. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark. And most people who are scholars about this believe this, this account is the written account of the oral kind of remembrances of the Apostle Peter. And it's written by Mark with Peter uh, in the capital of Rome. Uh, Peter's giving his oral remembrances of what happens, and Mark's just writing them down. And in case you haven't been with us, what we've been tracking with Mark and Peter in telling us is that Jesus is king, that he's both Messiah, which is son of God, he's the king of the Jews, but he's also king of everyone. And what this whole gospel account is going to be about is him describing what kind of king exactly is Jesus. Now, uh, the gospel of Mark takes place and it moves really fast, but uh, we're already four weeks into this and we've only made it through the end of the second chapter. We're not moving as fast. In fact, this particular passage I decided I wanted to stop on because in this passage today, uh, at the end of the second chapter, Jason mentioned to you a little bit last week, really gets at the question that most of us really need to get clear in our minds. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Like, what is it that God, what is it God wants? What is it that Jesus is expecting from me? I'm really glad you came. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Ed. I'm one of the pastors here, and that's what I want us to focus on today. Because the rub for most of the of people that I have met in the 40 years I've been doing this in the South, in our area particularly, it's not really do you believe in God. There are people in our area that don't believe in God. But by and large in our area, almost everybody believes in God. The problem is for those who believe in God, is they don't believe God. There are a lot of people who believe in God. They just don't believe him. They know he is a fact, but it didn't have much impact on their life. And what it really comes down to is when you get to this place of what does God want? Like a lot of people think God has a naughty and nice list, sort of like Santa, and he's just sort of saying, did you keep the list right? Or do you get to heaven and God has a list of kind of beliefs that you have to fill out a questionnaire on? Did I believe certain things about God? Or does God know if I said a prayer at a certain place in my life and it got all the list canceled? Like, is that what God's looking for? So I want to remind you what you already heard read, because this passage, I think as well as any, gets at what is it that God wants. And here's what you already heard Molly read to you. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and there's a large crowd there. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said these two words, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, if you aren't a real Bible person, you won't know this, so let me just clue you in. There's a guy in the Bible who writes a book of the Bible named Matthew. He and Levi are the same person. 
Levi and Matthew, exact same person. But there are two names, the two names that Matthew has, Levi and Matthew, it gets at the tension that's at work in this story because Levi is the name the Romans would have called him. It's his Greek name, and Matthew, that's his Jewish name. It's the name his mom gave him. Levi and Matthew, that really gets at the tension. So Levi and Matthew, he's in this tax collector situation, and I guess for all of human history, nobody's ever liked to pay taxes to anybody. So you get a little bit of the tax collector situation, but you don't get it. And I don't really have a comparable to give you in our culture to help you get what's going on with Levi Matthew and what's happening with all these people. I mean, there is no current cultural American equivalent because we aren't occupied by an evil army that stands over us every day. You have never known in your life what it feels like to have an army occupy you every moment of every day and stand over you and force you to do things. We don't live in that kind of country, but Jesus did every day of his life. And so had his parents for hundreds of years. And so Levi Matthew, he's in this place. He's in this place where this cruel, oppressive power, and it's really even hard in our day for me to tell you how cruel and oppressive uh, the Romans really were. I mean, the Romans came in, and by their might, they made you do whatever they wanted. They ruled by force and cruelty. In fact, they figured out what the worst thing that you didn't want to happen to you, and then they made that the capital punishment in your land. You, you know why they crucified Jews? Because they read in the Old Testament that cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And they crucified hundreds of them. So they come in and they take over your land. And then what they do is they make you pay for the privilege of having their army in your land. They rule by force. And their army takes whatever money they need to rule. But the way they collect the taxes is they get locals to cooperate with them. So here's Matthew. His mom calls him that. But when he goes to the Romans, they call him Levi, and he cooperates with them. They said, all you got to do is collect tax from your people. And here's how much we want, but you can collect with our Roman soldiers standing behind you whatever you want. If we want 20 denarii, you just collect 50 and you keep the rest. And he gets rich. So as you can imagine, in their world, the tax collector is the lowest of the low. He's cooperating with this occupying government that's had them under their feet that they're praying about every day that the Messiah will come and release them for him. That's how people saw Levi. They knew that God hated Levi. They knew that the people of God, I mean, I bet most Jewish people who had known him since his birth, they didn't call him Matthew. They spat out the name Levi to let him know, you aren't part of us. You don't belong with us anymore. So here comes Jesus. We've been reading the last two weeks. He's gaining momentum. He's healed a few people. He's taught a few things. People are coming from everybody. Everybody wants to be with Jesus. He's taught in a way that he's gathering a whole bunch of followers. In fact, we learn that he has just done the miracle that we talked about last week where the guy comes through the roof and he says, your sins are forgiven. And he get up and he walks straight from that, we're told, to a tax collector's booth. And there sits Matthew. There's Levi charging tax. So Jesus walks up and 
I guarantee you, everybody who's with Jesus, Peter, James, John, all those other Jewish good boys who were around him at that point, they hate this guy. If they know him at all, they've talked about him behind his back. They don't like him. And they're expecting Jesus to say all kinds of things to this guy, like, your mom must be embarrassed to you. How dare you treat God's people this way? You need to repent. Instead, Jesus says, hey, why don't, he just says two words, follow me. And then Matthew does this remarkable thing. He does. He just gets up and he begins to follow. Now, Jesus could have probably said a lot of things to him. Hey, before you stand up, just so we're clear, you're leaving all this behind, you know. Jesus could have said, hey, you know, you need to apologize to all the people around you before you do this. But all he says to Levi is follow him. So he says, I'm going to ask you to do something that I know if you want to, you can do it. All you have to do is stand up and follow me. Well, what else, Jesus? That's it for now. Just follow me. But, see, here's why I wanted you to hear this passage, and it's why I love this passage so much. It's why I've taught on it so many times over through the years. It's because that invitation that gets extend, extended to this guy that everybody hates in that day, it's extended to us every single day. There's this relational invitation every time you wake up and you draw in breath for the first time and you're aware it comes to you from Jesus. And it's, it's not a new list of what you have to do today. It's not a whole bunch of don'ts that are identical to everybody else that's going on in the world. I, I, I do want to be clear that Jesus is king and he can ask you anything. But what he asks you to do is, will you follow me? And it'll be different different times, different ways, but that's, that's what he asked. The other part I love about this is that when Jesus invites Levi to come follow him, he's also inviting Levi to, to join the group. And I bet that was really interesting for the group. <laughs> because I can imagine someone like Peter who never kept his mouth shut saying, Wait, wait a minute, follow, follow you means fo us. Because <laughs> you already asked us to follow you, and if he's going to follow you, that, be, that means us. I mean, let's just be really clear, Jesus. I don't want him as us. I mean, if he's going to be a part of this thing, if he wants to come after you, then we're going to have to hang out with him. Now, we don't know that Peter thought that, but I'll give you this, we know later, even after Jesus has resurrected, gone to heaven, and Peter's already preached all the sermons, Peter later has a problem that Paul has to directly say to him, why you keep separating out the people you think are God's people from other people and you won't eat with them? He has to come to Peter directly and say, hey, this appears to be a problem for you. And this is often the problem for people who believe in God but they don't believe God in our day. They believe in Jesus. They just don't want to follow him with the group that Jesus might want them to follow with. 
It's one of the reasons we so often say to people around here, hey, if you're, you think that Jesus invited you into a group of one and it's you and him, wrong. That isn't the way he goes. Jesus calls us to follow together. It's personal, your relationship with him. It is deeply personal, but it is not private. He invites you to a personal relationship, but he always calls you to a group of followers, to be a part of his body. That's a part of following Jesus. In the group of followers, what we learn is Jesus loves people that aren't like me. Thank God, because I'm a mess. Jesus loves people in all kinds of ways. And in the group of followers, he gives me a safe opportunity to learn to do the two things he asks. I can love God, and I can learn to love these people. You see, the question I have to ask myself every morning is, not how am I doing at my personal one-way relationship with Jesus, it's at my personal religion and the way I keep all the lists. The question I have to ask myself is, how am I doing following Jesus, and am I doing it with anyone else? Am I with his people that he called me to? And before we move on, I just want us to pause and ask ourselves these questions. And so I've asked Jason to come up and help us reflect on that. So as it said, we have never, ever been meant to follow Jesus alone. One of Jesus' closest followers named John would later go on to write a letter that we still have today. He wrote to one of the earliest churches. He said these words. He said, if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. In other words, he's saying, if God's love is in us, and it's genuine, then it always leads us to love one another. In fact, there's a, an incomplete way we experience the love of God if it does not lead us to love one another. And in particular, John is talking about love for other believers. Life with God is life in God's family. So we want to take a moment and just ask ourselves these questions. How are we doing at loving our brothers and sisters in the church? Are, are you even near enough to serve other people? Are you near enough to your brothers and sisters to know them? Do you know their needs? If they were mourning, would you know it? Would you be able to help comfort them? If they were discouraged, would you know it? And would you be able to encourage them? Have you taken any steps into community at all? So to begin this reflection, we're going to pray some words of Scripture together. We're going to put the words on the screen, and I want to invite you to read the words in bold, out loud, along with me. So let's begin. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now take a moment and I want you to consider, is there any way in which you are currently failing to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe it's because 
you're just honestly not in relationship with any other believers enough to love and serve them. Or maybe you're just holding something against a brother or sister, and that is keeping you from loving them. You take just a few seconds, talk to God about that. Now, once again, I want us to read some words of John together. Again, read the words in bold with me. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want you to take a few moments and ask God to just show you what your next step might be in loving your brothers and sisters in the church better? What is God leading you to do to better follow Jesus by loving others? Talk to him about that. Heavenly Father, will you help us to do this, Lord, and help us to follow Jesus' example of love? Lord, teach us what it means to love one another like brothers, like sisters. Teach us what it means to lay down our lives for one another just as Jesus has done for us. We pray that in his name. Amen. When we pick back up the story, Mark changes the scene. Jesus and his group are having dinner at Levi's house, which is a big deal. In their culture, to have dinner in someone's home was to align yourself with them. Can you just imagine what these disciples thought when Jesus said, we're going to Levi's house for a dinner party? They must have been thinking, who else is coming to this party? Because no one hangs out with tax collectors but the most despicable people, and I guess us now. We don't know what the disciples thought, but we do know what other people thought. Because while Jesus is at Levi's house, some religious leaders show up and they're thinking, what does he think he's doing? Maybe they want to know why Jesus didn't say to Levi, I'd love for you to be my follower, but first you need to quit that, stop this, start this, and once you get all that cleaned up, then you can come and follow me. There needs to be outward change before you can identify with God. And we know this because they go to Jesus' disciples and they ask them, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, this doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't he be saying to them, repent, change your life, and then come follow me? Why would he publicly associate with them before they have made any changes in their lives? Now notice, they don't ask Jesus, but he hears their question. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, I came because people are separated from God. There is a soul sickness that's called sin. It separates us from God, and it's not as simple as who publicly behaves as they should. I'm here for people who are ready to follow and be made well. And then he says something else to them, and I think it's interesting that Mark doesn't include this. The only reason we know is because of Levi. 
When Levi writes his accounts of Jesus' life using his Hebrew name, Matthew, he tells us what Jesus said next. And I bet this moment was seared into Matthew's memory. He was the cause of this conversation. And in this moment, Matthew could see the heart of God on display for him. Matthew remembers, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Those last words are a quote from the Hebrew scriptures, which these religious leaders probably had memorized. Jesus is saying to these scholars of the scriptures, you must not know your scriptures or you'd understand what I'm doing. Go back to school and figure out what it means that God desires mercy, not sacrifices. In other words, you're so caught up in seeing the sins of people that you've forgotten the words of God. Because of that, you've missed this key character trait of God, mercy. God loves mercy. You got so caught up in doing everything right and making sure you were right with God that you overlook people whom God loves, who don't need you to judge them. They need your help in getting it right. And here's the big deal. Because you've forgotten this, you too have this same soul sickness. But you'll have to go and learn that. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I wonder if Matthew's heart came alive in that moment. I wonder if he just stood amazed and wondered, who is this man? What kind of king is this? What Matthew would come to learn, and sinners like me have come to see, is that Jesus is a king who comes to be with his people, no matter how broken or messed up they are. He is building his kingdom in the most peculiar way with the most unlikely and unworthy people, but he still chooses us, and the invitation is open to you and to me. So how will you respond? So that invitation, what does it look like maybe for you and I today? If you're just beginning out on this and you're, I mean, you're trying to figure out all this stuff with Jesus, what I'd like to say to you is it starts with you just being willing. Are you willing to take the next step? And maybe there's people in the room here that you're, you're right where Matthew is. It might be as simple as Jesus just wants to do something easy like, would you take him home? I mean, that's it for right now. Because I don't want you to miss this. The issue that is, is not how much you know. The issue isn't what do you believe. I mean, the issue isn't have you cleaned up your act? Did you, have you done everything that a good Christian person does? And the issue is not what do you, how have you associated yourself yet? The issue is are you willing to take the first little step that God is leading you to take? Are you willing to simply say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm willing. I, I, I will follow you, but don't go too fast. And, and I'll just say, my personal experience with Jesus for several decades and watching him help other people is Jesus would answer that by saying, hey, you don't have to worry about that. I will, never, I will never leave you as long as you keep your feet moving with mine. The one thing that you need to know for sure is that what Mark and Matthew tell us about this account that goes on is Jesus, he's inviting anybody. I mean, Jesus' invitation is open to anybody who's willing to recognize that they have a, a sickness like Molly talked about, this soul sickness that 
It's called sin, this brokenness that winds up, I feel disconnected from myself even, much less God. I'm disconnected from God and from myself and from people around me, and God is offering me the cure. It simply means that I look at Jesus and I say, if I follow him, he might lead me to something better. It certainly doesn't mean you believe everything that Christians believe. You may be here, and you're really stuck. You've been coming for a while, and you go, I just can't. I don't believe what you people believe. I can't go along with everything that you believe. So you allow what you don't believe to hold you back from following the one that you like. But I, I think I can confidently say, it'd be hard for anybody to say that Levi would currently say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's no way he had seen enough at this point. There's no way at this point that he could make a confession of faith that anybody would say is what was an orthodox view of what Jesus was. He hadn't seen enough. He hadn't watched enough. He hadn't learned enough. He hadn't heard enough. He just knew Jesus is different. And he has something good for the world. So if he wants me to follow, I am willing to follow. So no matter where you are, no matter how you think you're behind everybody else, the invitation to follow Jesus is for absolutely everyone, including you. Even if you can't believe it all yet, even if you haven't figured it all out yet. But it's also for you if you're among many who wind up coming to places like this and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, but at some point you reach some roadblock and you just stop following. And maybe it's because of something that happened in the church or somebody did something to you or you came up and you read something in the scripture and you were afraid that Jesus was about to ask you to do something that you didn't think you could do and you just, you just stopped. And you just, you just stood there and you couldn't move your feet. In fact, over time what you found is you, you just got stuck and you don't have the answers and you're afraid to ask the questions. And what you wonder is when you sit in places like this is, will God even take me back because I've waited so long? The answer is, all you have to do is turn your feet toward Jesus and move. All you have to do is simply turn toward him. And start walking in his direction because the, the invitation to follow Jesus is for sinners. And there ain't nothing but that in this room. I, I don't care what you know or what you've done or what you don't understand, you can learn. It doesn't matter where you've been or how many people you've disappointed. Are you willing to follow Jesus with the next part of your life? And I don't want you to miss this. This invitation is an invitation to relationship with him and with his group. And here's why I want you to get that clear. Because God knows that the two most powerful influences in our world, because we were made for people, the two most powerful forces are love and rejection. I mean, they're, they're the ones that do more harm or good for our souls than anything else. And love, it wins over rejection every single time. I mean, the biggest chance you have to influence anybody that you really want to have influences is you start with accepting them. And acceptance always makes you have a way to influence. And because God loves us, he starts with just saying, hey, you want to be a part of my group? 
I mean, because he's committed to the absolute best for us, he wants to be in a relationship with us, so he invites us just to take a step with him. Now, does he know that there need to be some changes made in our lives? Yeah, he does. And because of his great love for us, he says, hey, we don't need to deal with all of that yet. You just need to get started in relationship with me. And along the way, over time, you and I will work on all of that. And you'll begin to change. You'll be amazed. As I was writing this part of the message, I thought about, well, honestly, I thought about me and the parts of my character that are different in my life over all the character flaws that I had when I was a young man who turned my feet toward Jesus when I was in my 20s, and all the things that have changed, and all the things that have changed in my relationships with people. I mean, I'll just give you this. If you had told me all the things that I would change in my marriage before I got married, I'd say, well, I don't think I'm going to do those things. I mean, if you told me all the things that would change because I was married to this wonderful person, I would have said at 20, I can tell you what I'd have said. I ain't changing for nobody. You either got to accept me the way I am, or that's the, you're just going to have to keep walking. Same is true for me as a parent. The things that I did before I had kids, it, I didn't even know the things that I would have to change to be the kind of dad I wanted to be for my son so they could be the men that they wanted to be. And if you'd have told me before I had kids, you're going to have to change those kind of things, I'd say, well, I don't think I'm going to have any kids then. I mean, if I have to give all of that up. But the truth is, the things that I made changes, they happened, well, it almost happened sort of naturally over time. And they became parts of my character now. And they're things I'm genuinely thankful are part of who I am. They're things that I enjoy. They're character traits in me that go deep into me. But if you had told me I had to change them before I changed them, I would have probably thought, well, if that's what it takes to make people happy, they're just black-sucking holes of need, and they'll have to get over it. <laughs> but you know what happened to me? As I found out I loved Becky. And if, if I needed to change to be the kind of husband that could love her, then that's what I wanted. And I loved John and Nathan and Benjamin. And then they brought along these upgrades to our family named Sarah and Jennifer and Morgan. And now I have eight little girls that are changing me named Destiny and Evie and Julia and Heaven and Faith and Corinne and Allison and Naomi and finally a little boy named Daniel. And through the years, as my love has grown, I've changed. And it wasn't like, I'm committed to change. The truth is, almost none of it was ever asked for by anybody other than me in seeing that love required me to change and that I wanted what was best for the people I love. You see, what God knows is because he loves us, and because there are things in us that need to change so we can be connected with ourselves, connected with God, connected with each other, the best way to change that is in relationship with him that's characterized by relationships that says, this morning... What I need you to do, Ed, is follow me.
You just follow me. Well, what about next week? Well, we don't need to talk about next week yet. You just follow me today. Well, what about this thing I have that I can't? Don't worry about that. You just follow me. Let's just do today. And what you'll discover in time is that in time, you will find freedom. And in time, you will have a whole new perspective. And in time, things you thought could never change, they change. But you don't have to worry about that if you'll just decide, will you follow me? And in the context of a relationship with the holy God who has sent a king named Jesus to be a part of your life, you will change. I also want to say to you, if you started this journey a long time ago and you learned so much and you changed a whole lot, but if anybody other than God and you knew what was true of your life, you've just settled into a Christian routine. And you've become what people in Mississippi, when I were growing up, you're among the fine folk. You're just good people. You're just such fine, fine, fine folk. You're just good folks. But the truth is, you don't spend near as much time following Jesus as you spend trying to get him to follow you. And you're just in some deep religious routine. And the way the routine often falls apart is you, you forgot what it feels like to be in follow mode. Instead of watching where Jesus is moving, here's what happens to people in religious routines when they aren't watching where Jesus is going. They start watching what everybody else is doing and judging how they're getting it wrong. You can't look at Jesus and look at everybody else. You can't follow him and decide you want to be in charge of what everybody else is doing in their life. Because as soon as you stop looking at the Lord and your feet stop moving after him, you head in all kinds of other directions. And Jesus is not looking for just good folks, fine people. He's looking for people who will wake up every day, including some of us that have been at it 40, 50 years, where we'll say, what today, Lord? Where today, Lord? Who today, Lord? Help me to see what you see. Think what you think so I can do what you do. And I just want to say this to you. This, this invitation to this life, it's the greatest adventure you will ever be offered. And some of you are standing by and letting it go by. You have no idea what's passing you by. You know, have no idea what hangs in the decision of you deciding today, I will follow Jesus to the next step. I know one thing for sure. Levi had no idea what was hanging in the balance when Jesus said, follow me, and he stood up and left that tax collector booth. I mean, if I just had you turn to each other and said, tell me the names of all the first century tax collectors, you know their names? Most of you got one now. His name's Levi. Some of you have been in the Bible. You got another one named Zacchaeus. Those are the only two you know. And the reason you know them is because they took a chance. And they followed Jesus when they did not know what happened. All the other tax collectors, we don't know their name, but we named kids Zach and Matthew because they're remembered because their life became this great thing of following Jesus. And here's the deal. I've said this to people all the time when I get to points like this in messages. You have no idea what hangs in the balance in your life, in your family, in the people around you with you saying no to Jesus today or you saying yes. You think you do, but you have no idea. 
If you're a teenager here and you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your faithfulness to Christ in your school, and you're a college student and you want to go in the direction of Jesus and your parents think, really want you to make money, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of you saying yes to Jesus. If you're here and you're in business, you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of you saying, I'm going to make my business about how do I follow Jesus. Jesus says, why don't you take your eyes off of the people that are following me and you just look at me. Just follow me. Why don't you just look at where I'm going and decide to follow me? You have no idea of the adventure your life could be if you simply would take that invitation. And the good news is that we've already said it a few times. You get to do it with the people of Jesus who can help you. Jesus isn't inviting you into a private kind of follow him alone. He invites us to do it together. Which is why every week when we come together, we ask you, hey, would you go to the Next Step Center? Would you let us talk to you? Would you let us help you take your next step with us and in this community? But the other thing we do together every week is we remember Jesus together. And I've asked Jason to come now and remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us as we take communion together. Close our time.